While they make their way down, you can uh, make your way to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, that's the very first book in the Bible, and likely the very first page, but depending on how many study notes you have in that Bible, it might be the second page. So, uh, We're also going to read from Genesis chapter 2 this morning as well. See, on my Bible, with the gigantic print, it's page 2. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In uh, chapter 2, we're going to read 5 and five through 9, and then 18 to 23, uh, which we'll also hit next week. Um, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heavens, and to every beast on the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken of man. Let's pray. Father, we confess uh, that we are prone to misunderstand both the book of creation as well as the scriptures. We confess that we struggle at times with loving people uh, who are different, people who disagree with us. We struggle to hear hard words, and sometimes we struggle to hear merciful words. We confess that we greatly need Jesus to speak to us by the Scriptures so that we can understand creation as well as the dimensions of our sinfulness as well as his work as Savior. So help us to listen this morning and to believe 
Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Fridays is usually Daddy Day for me. Uh, Amy uh, works at the Y uh, for at least part of the morning, and so I'm on Daddy duty. Um, I'm not babysitting. I'm acting like what I am, a dad. Uh, and so one of the things that we often do is we go to the library, and um, sometimes I let them browse around in the library while I go off and look and see if there's a novel that I'm interested in. And uh, one day I'd kind of come back to where they had accumulated all their books and one had fallen on the floor or something. So I bent down to pick it up and my eyes kind of went and looked at the shelf. And there I was surprised to find in the local library, just down the road on Ina, a book called Four Kids, Gender Bender. Many of you probably struggle with uh, the changes that have been going on within our culture, uh, really at in rapid pace over the last few years. We live in a culture that is increasingly confused by something that many of us think is rather simple, gender. Uh, we live in a society that because, from my perspective anyway, because we have tossed off uh, the gospel and the revelation of scripture, we now find ourselves in, in all kinds of philosophical and moral chaos. We, we live in this culture and we have to minister to people within this culture and we interact with people at work uh, who will maybe disagree with us on these sorts of things and, and how are we supposed to respond? How are we supposed to speak? How, how are we supposed to think through these sorts of issues that have to do with gender. Because it's not just about that, the confusion of gender, but it's also about the relationship between men and women, and it goes on. And so, yes, there are a number of can of worms that I'm about to open today, and uh, hopefully it won't get too messy up here. So uh, our big question is really, what are we to think about the gender discussions that are going on around us? And like I've done the last couple of weeks in this uh, sort of mini-series, I'm going to look at creation, I'm going to look at the fall, what sin has done to what God's design is, and then look at how Jesus kind of puts it all back together for us. And so I'm going to start with questions each time. Uh, If my wife were here instead of the nursery, uh, she would want me to say that, yes, I've made a few uh, changes to your outline. So... um, Keep that in mind. All right. Uh, the first kind of question that introduced us to this question from creation is, is gender purposeful or accidental? And that's sort of a legitimate question, I think. <clears throat> if we are Darwinists, if we believe in evolution, then what gender is, because everything came from a single-celled animal that had no sexual differentiation at all whatsoever, uh, we have to believe, therefore that uh, gender was initially a mutation. And uh, oddly enough, two mutations that had uh, mutated in the exact opposite direction got together and somehow that this was an improvement on the original uh, asexual animals. I'm not sure how this would be an improvement, um, particularly because now it's harder for creatures to reproduce. So, from an evolutionary viewpoint, uh, gender uh, seems to be a step back as opposed to a step ahead. So, but if it is accidental, so to speak, if it is uh, part of the 
genetic lottery and uh, natural selection, uh, then gender essentially almost means nothing, and you can kind of do with it what you want to do with it. Because remember, there's no God, and therefore um, there's no ultimate meaning in male or female. In a similar way, postmodernism tends to build upon this and sees gender as largely a, or almost exclusively, depending on who you talk to, a social construct. And that social construct that is called gender is used to exercise power. And so usually how this goes, and we're going to talk about this in a little more detail later on, is that men are exercising power over women. And there are, of course, some cases where that is true, but that is not how we understand all of life and therefore all of gender. But this is rooted in part some of the evolutionary thinking, but also existentialism. The uh, the French existentialists, sorry, Lucette, uh, Jean-Paul, Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, said that there is no human nature because there is no God to have a conception of it. Man is nothing else but what he makes of himself. And so you catch that. Precise, and, and John Paul starts thinking, precisely because there is no God who can conceive of what gender is, or what human nature is, there is no such thing as human nature. And so in a sense, he's building on the thought of John Locke, who thought that we all entered in this world with a blank slate, and uh, everything is just kind of put onto us by culture, the social constructs. Okay, see how all of this starts to joined together in one big mess. But what does Scripture have to say? What is it that we as as Christians believe? First of all, in Genesis 1, we believe that God created or fashioned humanity, it says both male and female, in His image and His likeness. And so, (coughs) excuse me, gender is not accidental, but is in fact purposeful. God has made humanity into genders, both male and female, and that together those two genders were intended to express the design and purpose of God. That that these two genders are both equally in the image of God. It's not that man is mostly in the image of God and women supplies, the woman supplies a little bit more so that the full image is kind of there. They're equally in the image of God and yet they're also complementary so that they reveal different aspects of the image of God to different degrees. Okay. <clears throat> more on this, I think, in a bit. But we see that the two genders uh, are given both to reveal God's nature, but also to enable humanity to fulfill the creation mandates. We've already talked about work. Next week we're going to talk about marriage. Both those genders are necessary for work and for marriage in terms of creation. In Genesis 2, we see the account of how God actually fashioned Adam and Eve, and we see that God fashioned Adam from the dust of the earth. He kind of gathered this together and he shaped it and he formed it. And we see God the craftsman at work and then he breathes life. He breathes spirit, breath into this man and he's alive. 
And we see that it was necessary for him to fulfill his mission that he needed a helper who was like him, who was fitting to him, who was like him and yet not like him. Because part of what he has to do is to fill the earth and subdue it. And so God brings all the animals. And Adam sees all the animals, but none of the animals are like him. Well, they breathe and they're they're mammals, so to speak. So, uh, you know, one might be tricked, so to speak. But no, there's nothing that looks like him. There's nothing that is like him. And so God takes a rib. And from that, just as he formed Adam from the dust, which seems impossible to us, he formed uh, out of her out of a rib and gave it to him. These two genders. Like him. And yet, thankfully, not identical to him. And so what we should see, what we should understand from the book of nature, <clears throat> as well as from the scriptures, is that gender is not limited to reproductive organs. But actually we see that gender runs through every single cell of our bodies due to DNA and chromosomes. And so while someone like Bruce Jenner uh, may have changed his outward appearance and may have altered his body uh, so that you might think he is now Caitlyn Jenner. When you look at his cells, when you put them under a microscope, you're going to see everything says man, male, human male. That's what you see. Because that's what his DNA says. That's what his chromosomes indicate. That's the way... God was, has designed us. And so we see someone like cardiologist Paula Johnson noting every cell has a sex. And what that means is that men and women are different down to the cellular level and the molecular level. It means we're different across all of our organs from our brains to our hearts, our lungs, our joints. It affects everything about who we are. In some way, shape, or fashion. It's interesting that uh, Steven Pinker, who I believe is an atheist in his book, Blank Slate, which he um, tries to destroy the view of the blank slate, says that girls play more at parenting and trying on social roles, boys more at fighting, chasing, and manipulating objects. And so he thinks that there is, even though he's, he's an evolutionist, <laughs> He still believes that there is such a thing as human nature that people are born with and that by and large, that plays out in the course of one's life. That there is something called maleness and there is something called femaleness or femininity, masculinity and femininity. Those are real things. From another expert found on ESPN Radio, zookeeper Ron McGill, he stated that all male mammals fight for females. Um, uh, human beings just do it a little differently. We, we do funny antics and hurt ourselves. Okay. Now, there's the struggle when it comes to, I mean, we're both male and female are both fully human. And yet there are certain distinctions or differences between male and female. And what we tend to do at times is to stress those differences as if they are from different planets, like Mars and Venus. Um, they're not. You're all from the same planet. Praise God. Okay? 
Um, now, there are some things in which those differences, there's no overlap. For instance, testosterone. That beautiful thing. Women have testosterone. But the man with the lowest amount of testosterone still generally ha- still has more testosterone than women do with the most. Okay? Just part of how we're made. There's no overlap that takes place. But in other things, there's a great amount of overlap. For instance, our math teachers are not here today. All three of them. What happened to our three math teachers? There is, uh, well, let's put it this way. When it comes to IQ, men and women average the same. Men generally are not smarter than women. But the bell curve looks different between men and women, such that there are more outliers with regard to men, which is both negative and positive. Males tend to have, uh, there are more males that have developmental disorders, okay, so they're on the low end of the IQ scale, uh, just as there are more males who tend to be on the higher IQ scale. So one of the ways this shows up is math. Not that women can't do math. Women can do math really well. Well, some women can, just like some men can. But if you look at the people who score on the SAT over 700, it's 13 to 1, male. That has to do with outliers and the way that it is shaped. It's just a gender distinction. This is a real thing. We, I mean, you, you can't, you, you want to erase statistics, you can, but it's not very helpful. <clears throat> so what we see is that Christ made male and female as complementary genders. Okay? That's the creation part. Right? But why don't we see this beautiful gender blueprint today? Why is there so much confusion? Why is there so much conflict? What has happened? And at my uh, cubicle at Ligonier, I used to have this little 8 by 11 piece of paper that said, it all leads back to depravity. And I guess I should say, it all leads back to Adam's disobedience. Because Adam disobeyed in the garden. Now note, I just said, Adam disobeyed. Who obeyed first? Eve. Why are we all in the mess we're in? Adam. We'll get to that next week. (laughs) Keep you excited and interested next week. Okay. Because Adam disobeyed, God brought a judicial response that we often call the curse. Okay. We've talked about that already. We've talked about how creation uh, struggles, it groans, it's under futility, and, and, and the curse means that we, as part of creation, endure such things as what I'm going to call <coughs> broken bodies, distorted, distorted desires, and twisted thinking. So it's, it's kind of threefold. Broken bodies... Distorted desires, twisted thinking. And these three things uh, contribute 
to what we call the various gender messes, the cans of worms uh, that can be opened and uh, looked at. It's precisely because our bodies are part of creation, and, and just as there are thorns and thistles on the earth, there are problems with people. People have genetic and chromosomal defects. This is a reality. And so there are some people that have genetic and chromosomal defects that affect their gender and their understanding or their uh, experience of gender in a negative fashion. For instance, we're all familiar, I think, with intersex people. There's also Turner syndrome, in which uh, the person, oddly enough, only has one X chromosome. And depending on which parent they got that X chromosome from, uh, really de- kind of determines th- how they uh, feel themselves, whether they have more masculine t- traits or more feminine traits. And uh, counterintuitively, if the X chromosome is from the dad, they, they ex- experience life more feminine in a more feminine fashion. If their X chromosome is from their mom, they experience it more in a masculine fashion. I'm not a biologist. I don't understand all of this. I just read a lot. Okay? But there are other things that happen. For instance, uh, congenital adrenal hyperplasia for women. When they're young, they can produce too much of a a particular steroid within within the body. And this produces what we call a tomboy, a more aggressive girl who likes to do guy stuff more than she likes to do what we normally would consider girl stuff. She's still a girl, but she's just an outlier, so to speak, upon that, that, that scheme. And so our bodies can sometimes affect uh, how we experience, a person can experience gender. But there's also the noetic effect. The curse also affects our minds, and we see that clearly when we go to Romans chapter 1. I was really frustrated this week, not just because I had a cold, but all the commentaries that I was reading focused on the sins that were involved in Romans 1, 18 to 32. And I'm like, what about the thinking? What about the effect upon the mind and upon the heart uh, that, 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 that God has done because of our sin in a judicial fashion? We see in Romans 1 that people became futile in their thinking. In other words, their thinking came to nothing. It didn't produce what they hoped it would produce. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay? Their hearts were foolish. They wanted things that were not good for them, that were not right for them. And also this this experience of darkness, moral and ethical darkness, emotional darkness, people who are clueless. And so it says they became fools. And so we see this whole idea of one of the effects of the curse is that our human reasoning, our ability to make um, decisions, our ability to uh, dialogue and converse has all been corrupted. It's subject to these things of foolishness and futility and darkness. 
I've mentioned a, a few times before that I'm reading this uh, four-volume series uh, on church history right now. And so right now, uh, last week I read about the Renaissance. Now, here's one of those ironic things about human history. Okay? I was probably influenced too much by Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> because I, I, you know, I tend to think of witch hunts as part of medieval history. Do you know when witch hunts primarily took place? After the Renaissance and the Enlightenment. In a time when people were boasting about human reason, that's when they were convinced that people were witches and had to be hanged. They didn't burn most of them. They hung them. But isn't that ironic when you think about it? But it, Because it points back to the darkness and the futility of human reasoning. We can't think our ways, our way out of sin. We can't think our way out of condemnation. As much as we might try. Perhaps a simpler illustration. Um, <clears throat> yesterday, Jaden, or the other day, Jaden came downstairs and said, Daddy, I think Mom's favorite lamp is broken. I'm like, mm. Why do you think mom's favorite lamp is broken? Well, I came down last night after you went to bed and uh, it wasn't on like it always is. And I said, ah, Jaden, you did not account for the fact that I was coughing excessively and decided to give your mother a break and I slept on the couch. Therefore, I turned the light off so I could sleep. It's one little thing. We We make... Because of our fallenness, we don't take everything into account, and therefore we come to wrong conclusions about things. That's a simple sort of thing. It's just a lamp. Who cares? But we do that all the time in larger, more important issues. Okay? Including gender. (coughs) We see as well in Romans 1 that it says that God gave them up to a debased mind. There is no salvation, therefore, by education or philosophy, as as helpful as they might be at times. They're not the answer to our problem, ultimately. All of those violent people in Chicago are not going to be transformed by education. They're not going to suddenly stop killing each other because they have PhDs. They'll just find probably better ways to kill each other. We see this similarly in in uh, Ephesians. Ephesians, yeah. Ephesians 4, where Paul just kind of puts it all in one sentence. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And so he hits their thinking and he hits their desires. The desires are distorted and their thinking is twisted and therefore they make a mess of everything. So this can play out in a number of ways. And so I just want to kind of go through some of these ways. One of those ways is that we can force unbiblical gender stereotypes on children and therefore harming them. Okay? Not all girls like pink and not all boys like baby blue. Right? Sometimes boys play with dolls. I played with dolls. We called them action figures. G.I. Joe was this tall when I was a kid. Okay? You know, from here. You know, not. <laughs> he, 
he shrunk when I when I got older. I don't know what happened to poor GI Joe, and he didn't move anymore as, as nearly as well. I had the Kung Fu grip GI Joe. I had a bunch of GI Joes, and uh, I also had the Lone Ranger, you know. And they would fight, and I and I lived this imaginary world, so to speak, through these action figures that I had, whereas my daughters tend to play house. And then they get, they get frustrated when Eli begins to destroy things with, with bomb noises and explosions. So, you keep going, Eli. It's all right. Okay. These are sort of simple things, but sometimes we can harm people because we think that something's wrong with a girl if she likes sports. No. It's okay if girls like sports. It's okay if girls like math. Okay. Accept the child, in a sense, for their interests, even though they may be an outlier. We don't have to say that there's something wrong with them just because they enjoy something that is a little outside of what we tend to think a girl or boy should do. Men can cook. Sometimes men are cleaner than women. Not very often, but sometimes. Okay? Um, men know how to use... Sorry, sorry... Guys, I'm going to out you. Some men know how to use a, you know, washer, dryer. It can happen. Um, And some women are really good around the house. You know, don't don't think that all men are handy. Not handy. I I know I fixed the irrigation leaks this week, but don't don't confuse yourself by thinking I'm handy. So. That's, that's one way we can do this. Another way we can do this is that there are some foolish hearts that believe that one gender is therefore superior to the other gender. And so uh, whether you're a feminist, and, and I'm going to define that in a little bit. So, um, but, if, but if you think women are better than men, or you are a chauvinist and think that men are better than women, you've got a spiritual and intellectual problem. You're in sin. Okay, Neither sex is better than the other sex. Okay, So chauvinism should be ruled out for the Christian. Now, Pinker, uh, in his book, outlines two forms of feminism. One is equality feminism, and that uh, opposes discrimination. It's a moral theory that um, opposes gender inequality. And uh, if that's all that it is, I can go, yeah, thumbs up to that. Okay? Uh, I'm okay with equality. I think the Bible's okay with equality. Um, there's only uh, two places that the scriptures uh, say that there are roles specifically for men and women. And that is, has to do with male headship in the home and male headship in the church. Apart from that, I don't care if a woman's a police officer. There's nothing scriptural, I believe, against that. But there's another form of, of feminism that is far more dangerous, and that is what's often called gender feminism. And gender feminism teaches, like Marxism, uh, it's influenced by Marxism. Uh, it, it's very much part of this postmodern idea that sees gender as a social construct that is used to oppress women. And yes, sometimes women are oppressed, and sometimes there are rules uh, in the past that have been oppressive towards women. But what happens is that 
in this theory, you don't interact person to person, you act group to group. And so it doesn't matter how uh, you as a man might treat women, uh, what matters is you're a man. And therefore you are an oppressive person. And it's identity politics. That's what it is. Okay? It, it's, it's dangerous stuff. Okay? Because you're, you're, while, while sometimes there are evil social structures, uh, we, we don't want to, um, just say that therefore all people of a certain persuasion are a certain way, because that is just as prejudicial and, uh, chauvinistic as the other view. This view is actually sort of self-refuting in a sense, because if, in fact, everything we know is a social construct, then what the gender feminists are saying is, in fact, also a social construct, and why should we believe that instead of something else? What makes your social construct so much better than my social construct? Nothing. It's just that mine favors me and yours favors you. And so it becomes again, they're actually admitting that they're in the fight for power. Okay. Some of this is influenced by, um, I'm sorry I'm getting so philosophical. What is called uh, Cartesian dualism. You know, Rene Descartes, I think, therefore I am. He split the body, sorry, the body and the mind. Okay? He separated them. And, and so what happens is, um, the body is the objective world. Okay? The, the world of facts. And the mind is the subjective world, the world of feelings. Okay? And what our culture has done, it is, it is said, the matter, the body doesn't matter as much as the mind and the feelings. And so if there's a disconnect between what physically I am as a man, or, or you know, as a human being, my body, I'm male, if I have a disconnect and I feel not male, that I should go with my feelings as opposed to what my body says. Because the body can be changed. Somehow we're forgetting that the experience and the feelings can also change. And it's a lot harder to change a body around, ultimately, than it is to change one's feeling or sense of things. Steven Pinker, again, the atheist, kind of contrary, in my opinion anyway, to his his uh, philosophical leaning, says to disregard the sexes in the case of our own species would be to make a hash of our understanding of our place in the cosmos. We have to understand that because we are sinners, we do, what we feel is not necessarily true, not necessarily right, not necessarily good. Because we are sinners, not all that we think is necessarily true, right, or good. And so that's why we as Christians go back to the Scriptures to place a check on our thinking and place a check in our desires. And so Christ reveals His wrath by giving people over to futility and darkness. Now that is a hard word to say, sentence to say. But that is a biblical sentence to say. 
So is Jesus going to fix this mess? Let's move from fall to redemption. Well, first off, we see in, in Matthew 19, Jesus affirmed the creational blueprint. When these guys come to him and they're arguing about divorce, uh, Jesus says, uh, don't you remember what it says in the beginning, God made them male and female? Jesus affirms the fact that there are two genders. Okay, Now, if Jesus were sitting here and we could ask him a question, he would, I imagine, affirm the fact that there are people who experience these uh, genetic and chromosomal issues that complicate things, that some people have broken bodies. Jesus would affirm that. Okay. But Andrew, Andrew T. Walker notes that we can ignore Genesis 1 through 2 only if we ignore Jesus. Because Jesus affirms Genesis 1 and 2. So there in Matthew 19, we have Jesus affirming there are two genders. Not an unlimited number of genders. But we also see, for instance, in 1 John chapter 4, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is, is really kind of big, but it means that He is the one who's, who takes away God's wrath with regard to our sin. That when Jesus was died on the cross, uh, He was not executed as a criminal for His own sins, but He was executed as a criminal for our sins. So that God could be propitiated or happy with us. Okay? So Jesus is the God-sent, that's the important thing as well about this passage, He is the God-sent propitiation for our sins, including our gender-related sins. He paid for our sins of sexism, of oppression towards another sex, or perhaps our dysphoria, or not believing the testimony of our bodies, if that is what we struggle with. It can also include uh, the ways that we look down upon people and don't love people who struggle with these things. That we, for the ways we don't show compassion sometimes to people who need compassion. Jesus, who was without sin, as it says in 1 Corinthians 5, became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so we see this Jesus who had no sin of his own, becoming sin for us. When we think about Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The context of this, of course, is salvation. And so what we could see there is that all of these groups that are played out, they all need salvation equally. Both men and women need salvation equally. They need the Savior equally. We cannot think that one sex is going to save the other sex. That sometimes happens in marriage. Some people think the other person will be their Savior and complete them. And, uh, you know, you've got two sinners who are in trouble if they don't have the Savior. But we see here in Galatians 3 that because uh, both can be equally united to Christ, 
Both genders have full access to the whole Christ and His benefits. It's not as though men get more than women do of Jesus. They get equal shares in Jesus, which is the whole Jesus. Another way in which this kind of plays out is the fact that Jesus was part of an oppressed minority. He was a Jew in a Roman society. So Jesus knows what it's like to groan because you feel oppressed and out of sorts and don't belong in this world. And for the, for the people who don't feel like they belong in this world because there's a disconnect between their body and their, their feelings, their mind, whether it's genetic or not, uh, Jesus can identify with the, with the, the disconnect. And Jesus can groan with them if they are in Christ. He groans with them, as we saw from Romans 8, until the redemption of their bodies, when all will be sorted out and made right and put back according to God's design. Okay? What I'm saying is, just because you come to, come to faith in Christ, your chromosome and genetic issues are not going to disappear. And any... Any uh, dysphoria you may experience as a result of your rebellion may not automatically disappear either. Okay? So Jesus groans with those who suffer defects and dysphoria through the Spirit. And I, and I think if we listen to them, that sometimes we need to come alongside them and pray with them, groan with them just as we would groan with someone with any other kind of physical disability that's just not going to go away. Just like we should groan with Ethan. Just like we, we groan with my son when he has to have another surgery. There are people who are in Christ, who believe in Him as their Savior, and they struggle with these things, and we need to groan with them. Because that's not what they want. But that's what they experience. In conversion, we see, however, that Jesus, from Ezekiel 36, we see the promise of a new heart. That the heart of stone is going to be removed and a heart of flesh is going to be placed in there. We see as well from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that Paul claims that we have the mind of Christ. And so in conversion, Jesus gives us a new heart and a new mind. And so when we think about our distorted, uh, distorted disorder, uh, desires, disordered desires, and our twisted thinking, Jesus begins to deal with them in our conversion. That does happen. We are a new creation. We're just not done yet. Okay, we're still being sanctified. We're fully justified, but not yet completely sanctified. So Jesus addresses our desires and He addresses our thoughts. And so that's, that's the perspective we have to come, uh, come with as we go to places like Romans 12 where it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
And so we have the mind of Christ and we're to submit ourselves to the scriptures so that Jesus continues to renew our minds and make it more and more after his. That means in part that you actually have to, you know, engage the scriptures. Okay. But we see that Jesus, Jesus is in the process of renewing our minds by the scripture as well as creation. And so if there's a person who is struggling with this sense of dysphoria that is not connected to, um, a genetic issue, but is, but is connected to a rebellion issue, they need to start to listen to the scriptures. They need to start to listen to the fact of the, the, how their body was made and say, I know I feel one way. But Jesus has made me another way. And what Jesus says is right. Okay? That's a process. That's a difficult process. That's not a done-in-five-minute kind of thing with your self-affirmation tapes. Okay? And they need people to walk with them and remind them in that process that their identity is in Jesus Christ and that he is in the process of renewing their mind so that they can accept reality for what it is and love it. But it's a process. <clears throat> As I kind of alluded to, well, we see here in redemption that Jesus redeems us and redeems our bodies so that we are right with God and right with self. And now, of course, that's not done all the time right away we have that already not yet aspect that we find even there in Romans 8 we groan until the redemption of our bodies and that's when Jesus returns and so redemption is completed or consummated with the bodily resurrection isn't that great these people who have genetic defects whatever it is who are in Christ are not going to have them anymore and so for all those who struggle with intersex and Turner syndrome and everything else who believe in Jesus, they'll be whole. They'll be right. And for all those who their struggle is more with their experience, their subjective experience, still, if they if they're trusting in Christ at the, res, at the bodily resurrection, all will be right and well. There will be harmony between Mind and body. The fullness of redemption will be received. No more disorders. No more dysphoria. There will also be no more prejudice. There will be no more rebellion. There will be no more gender envy. And so we see, as we kind of look at our initial question, we see that Christ grants grace so that we can walk in line with creation even though we live in a Romans 1 world. We still live in Romans 1. But by the grace of Jesus Christ, we can walk in line with God's creational blueprint, His design. So what this looks like is that we recognize that God's design is a good thing. Okay? Then, because um, we don't match up with the design, we can confess our particular need or our particular sin in light of that design. If you're a sexist, or if you're unmerciful towards those who struggle with reality, 
you might need to confess that. Uh, do you struggle with reality in, in some way, shape, or form? You, you need to confess that. But we also receive Christ's work in light of our need. We recognize that He is the one who takes away God's wrath toward our sin. Do, we, do you need a new heart and a new mind this morning? Or having already been converted, do you still need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Yes, you do. All of us do. And then we walk by faith, groaning due to the misery of the curse until Jesus returns. That's really what it boils down to. So, I said a lot. Um, and hopefully I said it well. Let's pray. Father, um, it's hard to live in this world of sin. And the hardest part is sin is not just out there. It's here. It's me. I'm, I'm part of this problem. Each of us are part of this problem. But we thank you. You've sent your son. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's also the perfect image of God who restores us in that image, restoring the design. And so while you're patient with us, help us to be patient until that day when that project is done. Just as you didn't create everything with a snap of a finger, you don't apply redemption in the blink of an eye. But there are aspects of it that take time. Help us to trust you in that waiting period. And help us to wait with others as they, they long for something different, something better. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.